Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. interesting quote this week that was attributed to Abraham Lincoln. He said, I don't like to hear cut and dried sermons. No. When I hear a man preach, I like to see him act as if he was fighting bees. Now, I'll be real honest this morning. I feel like with a message uh, that God has uh, prepared that I, I feel like I'm fighting bees. Uh, we over the last couple weeks, we have been preaching through a series uh, called Practical Christianity from the book of James. And those of you that aren't aware, uh, most years, in fact, going back for the last 10 or 12 years, the Lord's given me the privilege of, of kind of escaping in November, December, spending time alone with him and laying out my preaching calendar. Usually I get away for just a couple days at a Baptist retreat somewhere where there's no TVs, no distractions. And, and that's what happened this year. So in, Jan in December first or second week of December this past year, uh, the Lord put these sermons on my preaching calendar. Now, what's amazing about that is when we see God's hand and his sovereignty at work in an amazing way. On May the 15th, the Lord had on my preaching calendar a message entitled, How to Avoid Discrimination. Eight days before our nation entered into this time of unrest, well, there's no way that I could have planned that. Uh, there's no way that I could have known what was coming, but the Lord did. The Lord knows and the Lord prepares us. Today's message is very similar. Like last week's, Kevin was preaching on the, the tongue and how appropriate that is at this time. And today's message is no differently. We're going to be looking at uh, the message from James chapter 3, how to live in godly wisdom. Now, we live in a very confusing time right now. Uh, this past, late this past week, 1,300 health experts signed on to an open letter that said, we want to support the public gatherings and protest, and we don't want to discourage that if you're protesting in favor of uh, the George Floyd situation and in favor of Black Lives Matter. But if, and we don't think that that is a health issue with COVID-19, but if you're protesting against stay-at-home orders, that is an issue and we don't want you to protest. Are we supposed to gather in large groups or not supposed to gather in large groups? And we're getting mixed messages and it just doesn't make sense. This last week, it had been communicated to me through social media and actually from some conversations that, uh, that as a leader among a, a church in, a, in, in our community, that, that 
white pastors needed to stand up and speak out. But I was also communicated with to say, you know what, best thing for you to do right now is just be quiet, don't say anything. What am I supposed to do? Like I said, it is a very confusing time. God's word in James chapter three speaks some great wisdom for us in this exact kind of time in this situation. Let me illustrate it, what we're gonna get to this way. Imagine I got up this morning and I looked in the mirror and I recognized that, man, especially through this COVID lockdown, I put on a little bit of weight. And I looked at my wife and I said, "Hun, do I look fat today? Do I really wanna hear the truth? You know, I, this, in the first service, I, I switched this illustration around. But I realized that in, in reality, my ego is a whole lot more fragile in this area than hers is. I don't look like I did when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. She still looks young. <laughs> I don't. I don't like to hear that I'm looking fat. Well, she could have answered that a couple different ways. And, and a lot of it has to do with how she says something or the timing that she says something. She could have looked at me and said, well, you don't look any fatter today. That would have helped a whole lot. Uh, she probably would have been wiser to say something like, "Hun, you always look great to me, right? And she could still be speaking truth without causing hurt and damage. You know, there's, sometimes it's just the timing of when we say something. I've instructed our, our deacons when we've had deacon training in the past. One of the things that we talked about was that uh, when, when there's a death in one of your deacon families and you go to a home, sometimes, sometimes the very most important thing that you can do is just be with them. Now, I know that God's word is true when God's word says that God, that God can cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But in that raw moment when someone has just lost a child or just lost a spouse, really that's the best time just to keep your mouth shut and don't say anything. So sometimes it's how you say something, sometimes it's about timing. And that's the difference between knowing the truth and being wise enough in your application of the truth. Well, God's word in James chapter three, beginning in verse 13, deals with godly wisdom. So as I said, we're gonna talk about how to live a life of godly wisdom. And as we read this, I'm gonna give you this warning up front. As we read this, there's three things, there's two things that are gonna happen. The first thing, you're gonna look at this and say, Man, this, what he says about ungodly wisdom, that's what I see. I see that happening out there on the streets. And you're going to see some of what James says and say, yeah, yeah, that's what godly wisdom is supposed to look like. And that's how we ought to act. And that's what it should be like. But I want you to take a third approach. As we read God's word, I want you to ask the, que the question, not how does this apply to what we see in the news or what we hear from our friends. I want you to ask, how does this apply to me? And how do I approach these difficult times with godly wisdom? And where does his word speak to me where I'm falling short in applying the truth with godly wisdom?
And I'm going to go ahead and read down through chapter 4, verse 2, because I want you to see the context and what's coming next week as well. The message today is going to come from uh, just the last part of chapter 3. So Scripture says, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in gentleness that comes from wisdom. If you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. What is the source of wars and fightings among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Let me pause for just a moment and ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. Father, as we approach this timely passage that you and your wisdom and your sovereignty has laid before us this day, I ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would measure my words. In fact, Lord, that it wouldn't be my words but yours. I pray that our hearts would be open and be receptive to the message that you have for each of us, that we might learn how to be those that you describe as peacemakers, those who sow peace as we speak truth with godly wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, James starts out here with that question, now, who is wise and understanding? Who is it that has wisdom and understanding? And then he, he gives us a positive up front. By his good conduct, he's going to show his works are done in gentleness and comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, and then he describes ungodly wisdom. In fact, I, I had a hard time titling these two points. The first one, I, I ended up titling ungodly reasoning because I have a hard time with the idea that this is wisdom at all, okay? You could call it ungodly wisdom, but it's, it's human reasoning that is not of God. So it's really not wisdom. And so James approaches this with, with helping us to see the difference between ungodly thinking and godly wisdom. And there's a huge difference between those two. And wisdom, as I've already illustrated, is a whole lot more than just understanding. It's a whole lot more than knowledge. Because you can know the truth, but how and when you apply that truth is going to indicate whether or not you're walking in wisdom. And so... As we walk through this, like I said, I'm going to feel like I'm fighting bees a little bit because I'm going to look at what James has to say about ungodly reasoning, and then we're going to move down and we're going to look at godly wisdom, and we're going to spend a lot of time looking on the char- at the characteristics that James gives us, and that's especially important in this text because there's about three of these terms that... The, the CSB in particular, but a lot of the English versions have a hard time conveying the meaning. So we're going to look at, at the underlying language of a couple of those. So begin with the first main point. Ungodly reasoning, James says, is rooted in, or actually it, it is described as, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It is not from above. It is earthly, 
unspiritual and demonic. Earthly is this idea that it, 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 it's materialistic. It comes out of our, our human drive for things, for, for stuff, for uh, to have our most basic of needs taken care of. And so it is driven by earthly desires. It's driven by our very base desires. It is unspiritual. Uh, the word unspiritual comes from this idea that it comes out of our flesh. It's driven by, by human flesh. You know, and the scripture speaks of how human flesh wages against the spirit that is within us. And, and so the, the, the picture that we see here is ungodly wisdom is wisdom that says, I've got to get what's mine no matter what it takes. I saw a LA Times reporter had interviewed over a couple days, uh, carefully, apparently, interviewed some of the looters and was asking them why they were choosing to loot. And, and one of the young men that she interviewed was just very straightforward. He said, it's, it's just an opportunity for me to get some stuff. That, that's it. He, he wasn't angry at anybody. It was an opportunity for him to, to get stuff. And for some people, it, that, that means food and clothing. For some people, it means big screen TVs. But it, it, it's, it's driven by a desire for stuff. And, and notice James calls this ungodly. This is base. This is, this is a desire to take. And all of us have a desire for food and clothing. And, and uh, a couple years ago in Florida, I saw this story of a, a homeowner who uh, had gotten a message on their phone from their alarm system. Now, some of y'all have that. You'll get a message if, if something on your alarm goes off. And, and so this person called 911, but they were working at a business not far from there. So they drove home and they found someone who had burglarized her home and was coming out of their house carrying some stuff. person dropped the stuff and threatened them and they had a concealed and carry permit and shot the person. When the family of that uh, young man who was uh, burglarizing the home was interviewed, one of his aunts said, this is just such a tragedy. This, that, that's how he pays for his school clothes. Well, we can look at that and we can say, that's wrong, obviously. But, but ungodly wisdom doesn't look at that. Ungodly wisdom is earthly. It's materialistic. It's driven by, by earthly desires, unspiritual, fleshly desires. And then James takes the next step and he says, ungodly wisdom is not only earthly, unspiritual, it is demonic. It is of Satan. And so he establishes this idea that wisdom or reasoning is either going to have two sources. It's going to be from above or it's going to be from below. Wisdom is either going to come from God above or it's going to come from the demonic. It's going to come from Satan. And so our thinking is going to be driven by whether we are hearing from God and, and we're functioning under godly wisdom or our thinking is going to be driven by demonic wisdom. It's going to be driven by ungodly wisdom. And so this ungodly reasoning, ungodly wisdom is described as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James goes on to say that it is rooted in envy, and selfish ambition in verse 14. And so where does it come from? It, it, it's kind of rooted in this person has more than I do, so it's okay for me to do something wrong. It, it's okay for me to, uh, to not pay my taxes because I believe the government takes too many taxes. 
You see what I mean? Now, the problem is when I start talking like that, instead of talking about looters, it starts stepping on toes, doesn't it? Because all of us in some way have this drive, uh, this, this ambition, and, and outside of the Lord doing a work in our lives and applying his spirit and moving in our lives, we'll be driven by what James calls here bitter envy and Selfish ambition. That word envy uh, could also be translated a zeal for something. Uh, he qualifies it as bitter zealousness. It also could be translated as the idea of jealousy. Someone has something I don't, and so it's going to drive me. It's going to give me an excuse. And, and we apply this in all kinds of areas of our lives. God doesn't give us what we want in one area. We'll, we'll try to fulfill it in a fleshly way. If, if uh, I've seen this in marriage counseling, my marriage isn't fulfilling my needs. So I'm going to have my need fulfilled somewhere else. It's not my fault. Right? It's not my fault. I'm not getting what I need here, so I'm going to go get what I need somewhere else. That's ungodly thinking. It's selfish ambition. It's putting me first and putting everybody else below. And so... God, ungodly reasoning is earthly and spiritual and demonic, but it's rooted in envy and selfish ambition. And what does it lead to? Where does ungodly thinking, ungodly wisdom lead us as an individual and as a culture? Scripture says it leads to, in verse 16, disorder and every evil practice. There's no way that you can read this passage in James 3 and not think about what's on the news right now. You just can't. Even if we tried not to. Ungodly reasoning, reasoning and thinking, logic that does not come from God, leads to disorder and every evil practice. And you don't have to imagine it. I don't have to illustrate it for you. All you have to do is think about what you've seen across the news for the last two weeks. Ungodly reasoning. And, and ungodly reasoning is reasoning that doesn't make sense. It's something that doesn't line up. It's hypocritical reasoning. It's the idea that because one horrible incident happened in Minnesota where a, a police officer murdered a person. That police officer needs to be dealt with. And there were three other police officers complicit with that murder. Reasoning says that guy needs to be held accountable and justice needs to prevail. Ungodly reasoning says I can go shoot a 77-year-old police officer in St. Louis and kill him so I can get my TV because of selfish drive and selfish ambition. And to, to, to do that in... in, in under the name of this life matters and this guy's the same race but his life doesn't matter. The first two police officers that were murdered in the rioting were both black police officers. They were murdered in Black Lives Matter protest. Ungodly reasoning is hypocritical. Scripture will tell us. So how do we approach that? That's what ungodly reasoning is, but what about godly reasoning that we need to get a hold of and do we need to understand? 
What about godly wisdom? Because we can say this is true, but we've already said if you speak up and say this is true, sometimes it's not the time, and sometimes it's not the place, and sometimes it's not the way to communicate that truth. Now, I got in a discussion this week with somebody, and I said, when is it not time to stand up and say it was wrong to murder a 77-year-old grandpa? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand that. And so there's some things that I think that, that it's always time, <laughs> but we have to be careful in how. So what about godly wisdom? What does it look like? First, godly wisdom is from above. See, godly wisdom doesn't come natural to us. Godly wisdom uh, isn't innate in my flesh because my flesh is fallen because I am, I, I've sinned against God and because I'm separated from God. And, and even for a born-again believer, certainly as the Holy Spirit indwells the born-again believer, uh, he, he can fill us with God's wisdom, but our flesh is still gonna fight against that, isn't it? And so we need to understand that godly wisdom is from above. It doesn't come natural to a human being that has fallen from grace and is away from God. And so how ought we expect someone who doesn't know Christ to act? Should we expect them to act with godly wisdom? And be surprised when they function out of selfish uh, ambition and envy and jealousy? Absolutely not. Because the solution is not shouting the truth that this is how you're supposed to act. The solution is that the only hope they have is wisdom from above that comes from a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And once again, how you say that and when you say that, that truth has to be proclaimed. This weekend, the lieutenant governor of the state of Texas uh, caught all kinds of flack because he came out and said, the only real hope for our nation in the midst of this upheaval and rioting is Jesus, that people put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal savior. I agree absolutely with you, Lieutenant Governor, but he's gonna be hammered for it. He's gonna be ripped apart for it because those who, who don't have wisdom from above, they're functioning from base human earthly wisdom are not gonna get it and, and he's going to come under attack. Godly wisdom doesn't come from human flesh. It doesn't come from earthly thinking. It doesn't come from humanism. It comes from God. It comes from above. Second, godly wisdom is rooted in gentleness. Back at verse 13, he says, by his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness of that comes from wisdom. That word gentleness is probably better translated humility. And in fact, the New International Version translates that word humility. The New King James Version translates it uh, meekness. Which I don't know that that's the best representation. Our, our culture doesn't understand that word very well. But the idea here is that godly wisdom is gonna be rooted in humility. And what does that mean? I, I think first of all, it, it means that I have to recognize that, that wisdom doesn't come from me. It comes from God. True wisdom comes from God. It comes from his word. It doesn't come from me. So that I can't stand up and say, well, see, I know better than you because I know the truth and I'm smarter than you. No, you're not. 
If, if, you, if you really have godly wisdom, it's going to come from God. It's going to be re- rooted in a humble heart. But it also indicates that that's how we have to approach those with whom we disagree. We have to approach with humility and gentleness. And, and one of the things that helps me to have a little bit of humility in this area is the fact that I understand that I don't know everything. When I do marriage counseling, oftentimes I'll tell a couple, uh, you know, they're having an argument about something, I'll, I'll say, you know, you need to understand that probably neither one of you is 100% right. <laughs> Usually when there is a division, uh, both people have done something wrong. Now, and I, I think most of the time when I do counseling like that, most of the time it's, it's 60-40, you know, 65-35. Uh, the husband's got some, some complacency or he's got some issues here and the wife has some issues and we need to bring those together and work through them. Sometimes it's 98-2, okay? One person's 2% right, the other's 98% right. But if we come at every, in every situation and recognize, you know what, there may be something that I can learn here and we come with humility we gain wisdom. So godly wisdom is going to come out of a humble heart and a gentle spirit. And then, just as he gave us some characteristics of, of uh, ungodly reason, he gives us eight characteristics that are displayed in godly wisdom. And this is the most important thing for us to get a hold of and walk through today. And so I don't want to drag my feet here, uh, but there are really about three of these that the English language has a hard time communicating. So I'm going to talk a little bit more on those. Eight things that are expressed beginning here in verse 17. First of all, wisdom from above is first pure. That's pretty easy and pretty clear to understand. Wisdom from, ad- from above, God's wisdom is unadulterated. It is true. It's not going to be marked by any part of error. You know, a lot of things that we'll hold on to or what we might refer to are misconceptions. Well, a misconception usually is a concept that has a little bit of error in it, okay? And so we, we, we sometimes struggle and we'll, 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 see a, we'll see something that's not completely true, but we know it's mostly true. Godly wisdom is all true. It is pure, unadulterated truth. And so there is no mixture of error in godly wisdom. If you're struggling with something, you say, well, this is mostly true, but if you have to add a but to it, then it's probably not godly wisdom, okay? Because godly wisdom is pure truth. It's pure wisdom. Second, it is peace-loving. And that word means exactly what it says. It's a Greek adjective for the word peace. And so to translate that adjective, you could translate it as godly wisdom is peaceful or godly wisdom is peace-loving. The idea is that those who have the wisdom of God are going to love peace. Now, we've all known people who just don't seem to be happy unless they're fighting unless they're in some kind of argument, they're in some kind of disruption. That is never of God. Godly wisdom pursues and loves peace, not disruption and not upheaval. Third, godly wisdom, it's translated here in the CSB, says godly wisdom is gentle. This word is a little bit more difficult to translate. The word literally means non-legalistic. In fact, uh, Bauer, Art, and Gingrich, one of the, the most trusted Greek 
lexicons uh, translated it with this idea, not insisting on the right letter of law or custom. The idea of tolerance. And so godly wisdom is not legalistic. Now let me illustrate that for you directly from scripture. Luke chapter six, Jesus sees a man walk into the synagogue uh, where he's teaching whose right hand was shriveled up. And Jesus looks at that man and the Pharisees immediately start watching him closely and scripture says they're watching him closely to see if he's gonna heal that man on the Sabbath so that they have something against him. And, and Jesus tells the man, come up here and stand in front of me. And he looks at the, the Pharisees and he says, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? He asks the question. He gets no answer from the Pharisees, of course. So he reaches out, he touches the man's hand and healed it. In doing so, Jesus broke the legalistic law of the Pharisees, the synagogue. Godly wisdom cares more about the person than it does about the legalistic issue. Later on, Jesus healed a man who was bloated, filled with fluid, Luke chapter 14. The Pharisees came after him there and Jesus says, if you had an ox in the ditch on the Sabbath day, would you not get it out? Godly wisdom is non-legalistic. It cares more about the person and it's able to, to reason and make a decision based on God's wisdom and not just on human logic. My brother is a 28-year veteran of uh, the Austin Police Department. And early on in his career, I would go ride with him a lot. And in these uh, riding with him, I saw all kinds of crazy things happen. Uh, one story that really stuck with me is about 12.30 at night, we pulled over a lady who was speeding. And uh, when we pulled up behind her and, and looked at her license plate, this was back in the days when Texas still had the stickers on the license plate. And our license uh, car registration was expired. And so he, uh, he notes that and goes up and uh, begins to talk with her. Of course, he ran the license plate. Well, it came back that that license plate w wasn't only expired, but the sticker that was on there had been taped on with cellophane tape. And so the car was out of registration for two years, and someone had committed the fraud of putting a, a, a illegal sticker on there. And then, in addition to that, she had, if I remember correctly, she had three or four children. I think she had four children with her, four, three in the back seat, one in the front seat, some of them were in car seats, but the car seats weren't fastened down, and the kids that were in the car seats weren't fastened in them, and two of the kids weren't even in car seats, and they were all supposed to be. And her, uh, her uh, tag on her uh, ins inspection tag was also expired. And uh, Bobby began to go over everything with her, and then it came back that she had three warrants out for previous traffic issues. This is 12.30 in the morning. Now, my brother really does care about people. But he began to talk to this lady in cop speak that I cannot repeat from the pulpit. And he began to tell her exactly uh, what she needed to do and what he thought of her situation. In fact, it was so rough, I got back in the car because I couldn't listen to it anymore. 
And then I see him shake his head and tell her that she could go and get back in the patrol car. And I asked her, I said, what just happened there? I'm going to tell you everything he said to me. But he, he said, like, she, she's coming home from work. She worked at a grocery store. Doesn't make a lot of money. She had her uh, smock on from working at the grocery store. She'd gone to her mom's house, picked up her, three, or her kids, her four kids, and was on her way home. She was tired. And he said, clearly, she can't afford to pay for the three warrants that are out for her arrest. And I told her that the next cop that stopped her probably would not be as gracious as I am. And she needed to get those taken care of immediately. He said, but she can't afford to take care of those. There's no way that she's going to be able to pay the other ten violations that I could have written her. It would have amounted to a couple weeks' paychecks for her. It would have done her no good, and it would have done the community no good for me to write her those tickets. So I did everything I could to encourage her <laughs> to get it taken care of and send her on her way. And besides, he said, you and I would have had to wait for Child Protective Services to have those kids placed because she would have gone to prison. Now, my brother is a police officer sworn to uphold the law. But in those circumstances, he sought to apply what I believe is godly wisdom and do what was best in those circumstances for her and for her family. And for those who would say that all police are racist, I would simply say that no, he's not. She wasn't his race. Race had nothing to do with it. He, carried a, he cared about a mom and kids. Godly wisdom is non-legalistic. It's gentle is the way that the CSB translated it there, which I think is kind of a weak way to translate that word, but you get the idea. Fourth, godly wisdom the, the, the translation here is compliant. The CSB translates that compliant. The word literally means non-rebellious. You could translate it obedient as well, but the word means non-rebellious. And so what he's saying here is ungodly wisdom has a rebellious spirit. Godly wisdom is non-rebellious. If your first inclination uh, when you have to deal with authority is to stand up to authority and talk about how you know, you're going to take on the authority, that's not godly. <laughs> godly wisdom is non-rebellious. And so if you have a rebellious spirit against the authority in your life, whether that be your, your parents or whether it be your, your boss or you have a rebellious spirit against the authorities that have been put in place in the police or you have a rebellious spirit against any authority, if you have a rebellious spirit, that is not of God. Godly wisdom is non-rebellious. It submits, it is compliant in that it is willing to submit to authority. Fifth, godly wisdom is full of mercy. 
the CSB here translates this very well, full of mercy and good fruits. That word full of is the adjective and it is connected to both of those nouns. It is full of mercy and it is full of good fruits. And so godly wisdom, as we talked about a couple weeks ago when I discussed how not to discriminate, is that we are full of mercy. We, we, we have mercy on people. We don't want people to get what they deserve necessarily because we don't want God to give us what we deserve. We want to show mercy to others. Godly wisdom is full of mercy. It's full of God's grace. Godly wisdom is also full of good fruits. And I think that this is important here because you can look at what Paul has to say and you can look at what James has to say. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Paul and James do not disagree here. In fact, I think that you could plug in when James says godly wisdom is full of good fruits. You could plug in the fruit of the Spirit and you can hear it in the context of James as well. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, Right? And so godly wisdom, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit and the, the, the Spirit of God is filling you with his wisdom, you're, you're going to express in your actions love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Godly wisdom is non-divisive. Now this one I think that, that we really struggle with in, in this this translation. And I, if you're new, this is the first time you've heard me preach. I usually don't spend this much time talking about Greek, but the word studies I did this week, I had some real issues with a couple of, of these translations. And, and realize Jesus didn't speak English anyway. He didn't speak CSB English. He didn't speak King James English. He spoke Hebrew, okay? And so, uh, or Aramaic, something. But uh, so as we try to translate this out of the Greek New Testament, that word literally means non-judgmental that's what the word means or non-divisive without partiality so this idea is that godly wisdom is non-divisive it's not immediately seeking to judge between one group and another one person and another it is non-divisive godly wisdom seeks unity godly wisdom desires peace godly wisdom is non-divisive and then finally, it is without pretense. It, that, that word in the Greek literally means not hypocritical. It's also translated in some of the English versions, sincere, which is the same thing. But the word means not hypocritical. Godly wisdom is not hypocritical. Okay? So if you tell me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be careful there. Godly wisdom doesn't say one thing on the outside and then turn around and do the opposite. Godly wisdom doesn't say, I'm seeking peace and go out and commit murder. Godly wisdom doesn't say, I care about a community and then go out and rob and loot that same community. It's non-hypocritical, okay? So godly wisdom expressed in eight characteristics here is pure, peace-loving, non-legalistic, non-rebellious, merciful, fruitful, non-divisive, and sincere. Now, I asked y'all to do something up front today. When we, as we walk through this text, don't just see how this applies out there, but ask the question, how does it apply right here? 
Because it's real easy for me to look at this text and look at what I see on the news and say, man, what I see out there is showing hypocrisy. What I see out there is rebellion. What I see out there is not pure. But where God deals with me is he asks the question, but is your wisdom non-judgmental, non-divisive? Is your, your wisdom and your words, are they gentle and non-legalistic, or are they legalistic? And so we're, I think that we have to be extremely cautious as we approach these troubled times in our world is we have to ask God to fill us with his wisdom so that, yes, we see the truth, but we understand how to apply the truth in God's way, in a way that brings the next main point, reconciliation and peace. Because just as ungodly reasoning leads to disorder, James ends here by saying the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of this godly wisdom is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So how I speak the truth in troubled times, the question arises, am I speaking that truth in a way that sows peace or am I speaking the truth in a way that further sows discord and divisiveness? That's the difference between just speaking the truth and displaying godly wisdom. I have, to, I have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to such an extent that when I need to keep my mouth shut, my mouth stays shut. And when it's time to speak with love and gentleness, I speak with love and gentleness and compassion. And when mercy needs to be displayed, I display mercy. And when the truth needs to be shared, I share the truth. See, the, it's not enough to know all of us know people that are really, 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 really smart, that are very, very, very dogmatic in their beliefs. And they're so dogmatic that they would rather tear down other Christians so that they could stand on their truth. Because speaking that truth is more important than showing love. And if we do that within the church to other Christians, how much more do we do that with those outside the church? Godly wisdom seeks peace, seeks reconciliation. The first place that godly wisdom seeks to sow peace is to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. Because until a heart is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that person is going to be functioning under earthly reasoning, fleshly wisdom. And no progress is ever going to be made until the Spirit of God reveals his truth to that darkened heart. And so for the, the first place that we have to begin as Christians is we have to begin by bringing reconciliation between those who don't know the Lord and the Lord. Because once they come into a relationship with the Lord, once I came into a relationship with the Lord, then I could begin to grow in godly wisdom. I had no hope of gaining godly wisdom until I came into a relationship with Christ. Our world has no hope of living under godly wisdom outside of a relationship 
with Jesus Christ. Even our ancestors 250 years ago said that democracy will fail unless people follow God. So the first place we have to start is to bring people into a relationship where they can find peace with their own heart with God. And then second, godly wisdom is going to cultivate peace between people. We're going to sow and cultivate peace so that relationships can be healed. Certainly, we're going to come at things from different backgrounds. I don't understand the experience of somebody living in New York City. Honestly, I don't want to understand the experience of somebody living in New York City. They don't understand my experience. And so for us to ever come to some kind of agreement on anything, we'd have to sit down and talk. And, and, and texting one another back and forth on Twitter is, is not going to accomplish that. It's, it's only as we cultivate peace with peaceful relationships and peaceful conversations that we're going to see healing. But even we will never even be able to get there until we cultivate peace through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we can talk about how this godly wisdom, and this is a lot of what we've done, we, we talk about how it applies to our culture and what's going on in the world today. But I, I want to plead with you, church, as, as I look around this crew, I, I know y'all, most of you, I'm, I'm your pastor, and I know that you know Christ as your Savior, and your desire is to be pleasing to God and to display his wisdom in your conduct. So as we do this, let's allow God from his word to take those characteristics of godly wisdom and apply them to our lives and ask, is what I posted on Facebook this week divisive or non-divisive? Does it show me showing a rebellious spirit. I mean, I'll, I'll be real honest. When we dealt with this COVID lockdown thing, some of it I thought were far overreaching by the government. Had some other thoughts about it. But in godly wisdom, I had to ask, am I going to be rebellious in my spirit or non-rebellious <laughs> as I lead the church? And God, in his wisdom, gave me a, a compliant heart. And so we've sought every step of the way, going all the way back to mid-March, to comply with our leadership's directives, even those things we didn't like or didn't agree with. And, and I didn't realize it then, but when I looked at this text, I, I understand that that's godly wisdom. It's his spirit telling me something that's not necessarily my nature. So the question for us as we look through this is, am I walking in godly wisdom? And I'd encourage you to allow God to apply his word to your heart and your life as you address that issue. And certainly in the coming days as we continue to deal with the challenges that we face as a culture and as a church right here in Watauga.